Welcome to the Center of Our Fathers podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kuhn, joined as always by my oldest brother, Michael Kuhn. And I've watched some football, and I'm very happy to be here. There it is. And my middle brother, Matthew Kuhn. Hey, guys. So there is plenty to talk about now that football is back in action. We had our first preseason game. Um, we had an episode of Building the Browns. We had some suspensions, some signings, some trades. Plenty of stuff going on. We're it's in exciting. the season. It's, it's beautiful. It's really happening. The Browns are going. It wouldn't be a Browns like football season without some <laughs> trades and suspensions and all sorts of stuff. <laughs> it's fantastic. Um, there was, uh, first things first, I want to note, there was an injury um, at today's practice. Chad Thomas got carted off the field. A little bit of a scary moment. But as it turns out, it seems like he's all right. Um, it's day-to-day, whether he's going to come back to practice anytime, but hopefully just a stinger. It was a neck injury. Um, which is obviously always scary, but I got inundated with a flood of tweets earlier today about Chad Thomas. So all the best to him. Hope so, he is well. So Chad Thomas, I know we're going to get into the details of the game here in a little bit, but like I think on the last episode of our podcast, I made the comment that when have we ever heard of Chad Thomas flashing, whether it's in practice or in a game or preseason or anything, never had happened to my recollection. And he actually flashed in this preseason. There was a this first preseason game, there was at least two plays where he affected the quarterback. And that's way more than I can say any other time. So um, good for Chad Thomas. Hope he's back soon and can continue to prove that he deserves a roster spot. Good. I'm glad you didn't say something bad about Chad Thomas right there. <laughs> I, was, I was questioning. I was questioning. Um, yeah, so there we had a preseason game. Um, what uh, I'm interested to hear what you guys think about the preseason game. Um, it was very exciting. The first drive was flashy, showy. We ran the two-minute offense. Let's um, go chronologically because it kind of affects what's going on. Can we talk about Duke Johnson first? Sure. That happened just before the preseason game, and then you know Hilliard got a whole lot more run and all that sort of stuff. So what is everyone's thoughts on the fact that Duke is no longer a Cleveland Brown? I'm 100% okay with it because we got what's – most likely going to turn out to be a third-round pick. Yeah, unless is, he gets hurt. Which is the highest compensation anybody's got for a running back since the Browns got a first-round pick for Trent Richardson. <laughs> and Duke Johnson's like, not been a consistent yeah, like, nobody, workhorse nobody gives, back. Nobody's paying a third-round pick for a veteran running back. And we got it. So, like, you can't knock the value. We could go the, turn around and get a Duke Johnson replacement via trade for less than a third-round pick if we needed to. You, you can't knock the value, but I will say, um, uh, we're, we're not getting to the game yet, but I will say watching the game and watching Hilliard play so much, if that was Duke Johnson in that game, we would have seen a lot more production than we saw from Hilliard. So it made me a little bit disappointed whenever I was watching the game. You think Duke so? Wasn't, like, what, I, why do you say that? I really do think so. I, I think that Duke is always creating, and Hilliard was just kind of giving what was presented. I don't think he did anything extraordinary. Um, there's multiple times where I saw, I was like, if Nick Chubb was in there, that would have been Duke Johnson, multiple, no, Nick Chubb oh. or Duke Johnson, but that would have been a ton more yards than, than Hilliard produced. Um, that, that third guy that came in, what was his name? Um, Ernest Johnson. Yeah. Johnson, Ernest Johnson. He even seemed like he was a little bit more sparky on the field than I saw from Hilliard. Um, and Hilliard was probably tired because he was returning punts. He was running the ball like every other play, like he was on the field a lot. But I think I'm going to miss Duke Johnson in these first eight games when we don't have Kareem Hunt. Yes. I it, On the compensation side of things, if we were going to have to trade Duke, I think this is 
definitely the best we could have hoped for. So I can't complain at all because it seemed pretty clear that the decision was made that we needed to trade Duke. And I don't like that. I would much prefer keep Duke. Very good football player, but it also it helps our cap going down. His his cap number like was ri- would rise significantly over the next couple of years. Um, and we get to avoid that now, probably as like a luxury player, given that we have Nick Chubb yeah. in the fold. And <laughs> it's probably a better allocation of assets to not have that on the books. So I do like that. In the near term, though, I think we're a worse football team not having Duke Johnson as an asset on our team. So, you know, it is what it is. Overall, probably a decent move. Um, I can't complain. If it had been like a fifth round or like a sixth round pick, I'd probably be pissed. But a fourth that can turn into a third. And for everyone who doesn't maybe know, the basically the, comp, the terms of the deal are it's a fourth round pick that we're getting for Duke Johnson from the Texans that will turn into a third rounder if he plays or is active, I think, in 10 games this Which upcoming season. He has been every single season he's of his never, career. He's never missed a game. Yeah. Yeah, he's 64 uh, 64 yeah. in four seasons. <laughs> yeah. As a so football player. I think it's I think it's fairly safe to assume that he's going to get He always acts injured after he gets hit. <laughs> <laughs> he always slowly peels maybe, himself up off the field. Maybe but that's always, the secret. He always maybe gets that's back the secret. up. <laughs> so, anyways, I think that's probably all we have to say about the Johnson trade. Let's get back <laughs> into the game. Um, go ahead, Mark. Okay, so my main thing that I'm concerned about about the game is I want to hear what what stuck out to you guys each the most. Um, When you were watching the game, did you guys watch it live? I did. Oh, yes. Okay, fantastic. I was Um, on vacation in the middle of a bunch of things, and I paused all, and I watched the game live. Michael told his kids and his wife and his family to wait, and he watched the Browns, as a good Browns fan does. Um, what, What stuck out to you the most? That first drive from Baker, I mean, was stunning. And, you know, I guess the you're running a two-minute drill, so it was a lot of passing. We did have the one rush, I think, where it was kind of like the – But it was kind of like a delay, like delay draw-type yeah. play, which was really effective. But, I mean, it was kind of mostly easy passes all the way down the field, and then we get to about the 25-yard line, and that pass that he <laughs> delivered to Rashard Higgins for the touchdown, I still can't believe that he – completed that i can't believe that he saw that play and thought yep this is gonna work was able to execute it so perfectly putting it over the safety like it was in the exact spot for higgins to catch it and no one else but if it was off a little bit high a little bit low a little bit left a little bit right doesn't work and the timing was perfect the catch was great. I mean, he had to absorb contact as he was making the catch. Got to give Rashard Higgins some credit, but it was mostly a Baker Mayfield play because Rashard Higgins didn't exact. I mean, was right in the. I mean, he was running the route he was supposed to, but it's not like he was breaking free or anything like that. Baker Mayfield threw him open in the, for that touchdown. It was unbelievable. Yeah. No. I mean, the the first drive to come out in the first two and a half minutes and and score like that was was fun to watch um especially not knowing that we were going to come out in a two-minute offense and then we just kind of like blitzkrieg down the field was was fun to watch like added to the excitement of it there Um, was only one second down and it was after our first play in the whole the whole drive the rest was it was first down first down first down first (laughs) down which is incredible um the thing that jumped out to me was 
our our wide receivers made big plays, but when I think back on it, they were open. Like our wide receivers were able to get open, and I think it's mainly due to the offensive scheme and the play calling. It's what we've seen teams do to us for years with the shallow crossing routes and and whatnot, and like designing up route combinations to get people open. Um, and we were able to do that, whether it was Jalen Strong, who has not been a good NFL wide receiver. No. He he came out, and he was open, and he was making plays. And Derek Willies was making plays. And um, Ishmael Hyman was making plays. And all sorts of guys. <laughs> <laughs> all sorts of guys were out there making plays. And it didn't matter who we had, who we put in there. Like, they were still producing. And so I think in a, a much larger context, that bodes really well for our offense, that we're not relying on individual playmakers. We can have an Antonio Galloway miss for however many games for a suspension or his entire career, and we can plug new guys in and make it work. I mean, if you're reading the headlines, there's multiple stars of the show for this preseason game, right? The Baker drive was great, but Mac Wilson, rookie linebacker, has been intercepting balls all training camp. We know that his ball skills and his skills in coverage. That's what I love is he's been doing it in practice, and then he also did it on the field. It's not like – it's not like he just came out and had an aberration of a game, you know, where he, the ball comes his way. Yeah, dude's a hawk. Yeah, he, three of the last four practices before that game, he had an interception. He has the natural like ability to just sense it out and does understand he, where he needs to be. Does he want to play tight end? And reads quarterbacks like no kidding, no kidding. I mean, and what I think is interesting, the thing that makes me most excited, I think that there's a lot for him to probably learn on like attacking the line of scrimmage and playing all the other aspects of linebacker that he's going to need to to be uh, every down linebacker ultimately in the NFL, which he doesn't need to be that right now. We have other guys to play those early down type roles, and he can come in in sub packages and guard tight ends and do what he's doing, and that's going to be fantastic also in love, the near term. I also love the compliment that he and Taki Taki have with each other. They're... they're their yes. strengths and weaknesses complement each other and make a, a really strong pair Extremely when well. played together. I agree. And what I think, though, it's interesting because he played middle linebacker at Alabama, but everybody that scouted him said he's best in coverage. Yeah. And so I wonder if he was just a square peg in a round hole in that spot and having to make the calls. And you, even when you watch Building the Browns, you can kind of tell, like, it's so crazy to see Taki Taki being, like, the, like, clearly the leader type, grind it out, do everything it takes. Like, he has the mental makeup of a middle linebacker. You can just tell. Right. Like, there's no doubt about it. Mac Wilson? He's a weirdo. He's kind of a weirdo. He's <laughs> he's an athlete. You can tell, like, yeah. he relies on his natural ability in m- more than anything on the football field. And that's why he's succeeding in, you know, these things that are on the fringe. You can't coach a guy to like naturally feel out where the ball's going to go and be able to predict it and jump the route for and take it to the house. That just doesn't happen. You have the ability to do that or you don't. It's like a it's a feel thing. If this guy's been playing middle linebacker in a very regimented defense in Alabama, and now we move him to like a will, a weak side spot where he has a little bit more freedom to actually leverage all of those like natural abilities. 
we might be we we probably haven't seen the best of Mac Wilson, and that's kind of exciting. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't think I considered that whenever we drafted him. I thought I don't I didn't know what spot he was going to play necessarily, but knowing now that like because I think when we drafted these guys, we weren't thinking in the sense that we were going to play probably only about two linebackers on most downs. And so we need a we need a Mike and we need a Will, and that's all that we need. We had Taki Taki maybe playing like a strong side linebacker spot, which pretty much isn't going to exist in our defense. And if it does, it's and so but him playing Avery, him right? playing a middle linebacker spot makes so much more sense. And then letting Mac play the weak side spot is a perfect fit. And I don't think that that even crossed my mind until the last few weeks at camp. So I, it has me excited, and. It's going to be interesting to see how they incorporate both of the. Assuming everyone stays healthy, and you've got Schobert and you've got Kirksey, and you've got these two guys, how do the how do the snaps look on Sundays once the real games start coming around? I'm really interested to see what that looks like. I mean, uh, it's going to start with Schobert and Kirksey, but I mean, if we've learned anything, those those linebackers tend to get dinged up throughout the year, whether it's I mean, Schobert missed a couple games with a concussion, I think, last year. Kirksey missed the second half of the season. Yeah, but on a third year. and long. On a third and long. Kirk, why don't Schobert you pull Kirksey Wilson. off? Yeah, you should pull Kirksey off the field and put Mac Wilson in there. Yeah. Why not? I mean, that's absolutely the call. Well, third, third and long, you might be in a dime defense. We'll see. But it might be one linebacker. But... Yeah, if we're playing two linebackers, why? Why yeah. not? Let's mix and match. So my my question for you is, where do you think we move next year as Schobert's contract's about to run up? Do you think we move on from Schobert and we move on from Kirksey? Both I'm not ready. I'm at not the ready. Same time? I'm not ready to go there yet. That's why I'm interested to see how they play things out because I we got to see how these guys grow and how they develop. We've seen one preseason game. It's too early to know, but it's definitely a question that's in the back of my mind as I'm watching the rest of preseason and going throughout the season. Because if both of those guys show like significant development, then you're in a spot where you don't want to dish out a bunch of money for Schobert. As much as you might like the guy, you might be in a position where it just doesn't make sense. And that's, to, and that's how you up. sustain success in the NFL. You, you don't pay players, sec, sign players to second contracts. You extract value while they're cheap, and then you draft their replacement. Mm-hmm. And you get good quality players. It cracks me up. I was watching the Building the Browns episode, and they flashed back to when Taki Taki was drafted, and Christian Kirksey was the one who announced that pick. And it's like, Ew. it's it's a little like hurts, right? It's like I wonder if he realized at at that moment that crap. Yeah, Kirko will be fine, and it'll be sad to lose him in the locker room, though. You see, even in that Building the Browns episode, you see his leadership, and he's breaking everybody down every single time. He's standing next to Odell and Baker. Um, like, he's clearly the predominant leader um, on the defense. Um, yeah, but uh, the thing about Mac Wilson is he had a 97.5 pro football focus rating for that game. And it wasn't just like a ridiculous sample size issue. He had 36 snaps. He played 36 snaps in that game. He played a lot. And it wasn't just in coverage. He was targeted three times. He had two interceptions. But he was stopping the run. He was blitzing, and he was getting in the backfield. He was causing disruption. It was 
a full-bodied game. He was not just one-dimensional um, in pass protection. He was doing it all. It was it was honestly incredible to watch. So I know you're saying, Michael, that it's just been one game, but that one game was a full-bodied game. He did everything it was very, solid. very well. And you saw flashes from Taki Taki, too. It wasn't nearly as complete of a game as what you saw from Mac Wilson, but that's a high bar given the fact he had two interceptions and one return for a touchdown. And you saw him just sticking his nose in there, going right up the middle, uh, and just being a bulldog. Like I, I love that from Taki Taki. That guy is just oh, yeah, he always going to be He ran right there. through that running back. Yeah, it's beautiful. And I think Cleveland's just going to love Taki Taki so much. That's the thing I get excited about the most. Is just think about how much Browns fans are going to like that guy. As Wearing we number forty four. Yep. But the it. other. The other hero of the day was Sheehy with the return. Sheehy Giuseppe. But do you remember like two months ago when we when this guy got signed and we were joking about how hilarious it would be whenever he's returning punts and taking one to the house and you hear the announcer yelling, Sheehy Giuseppe, Sheehy Giuseppe, <laughs> Sheehy It just happened. It's we funny. just watched it. They on the back of his jersey, it just says Sheehy. I Praise God. Because, yeah. I mean, like that's just so much easier for everybody. It really is. And everyone on the team just calls him Sheehy. That's like his first name. Yeah. First name, last name, he's Sheehy. That, that, it was cool to see at the very end of that game. There was like three minutes left. Every single player on the team running out and congratulating him for returning that punt. Because, I mean, it's a big deal. This is life or death for these guys that are on the fringe of the roster. And with Antonio Callaway's suspension – there's a chance that he might be able to sneak into this roster as, if he as keeps, the return as guy. the return guy if he keeps making plays, at least for the first couple games. Well, now that Callaway's been suspended, which we can go into that a little bit more later, but that I think helps him a ton because Callaway was slated to return punts, and this there's not a whole lot of other guys as you look on our roster that are like obvious candidates to be punt returners, and he is the one guy who is a returner. And yeah. if he can show stuff on the field and is going to provide some sort of value as a receiver, but more so if he can be like a steady presence in the return game, like that's a way to get that six wide receiver spot. And, and even he, if it's only for the first month when Callaway's out, like that's a huge win for a guy like Sheehy to have that kind of like time and prove himself. I it's, think Sheehy's almost like a no-brainer to make the practice squad. Yeah, as as that return guy, as that kind of like do it all, try hard. He came from a small school, like he still needs to develop a lot as a wide receiver. I would imagine he didn't. Even, Everybody loves him. He didn't even play football in high school. <laughs> he didn't play football in high school. His brother joined this community college football team, and he was like, "Ah, oh, I guess I'll try out." And all he did was return kicks. He didn't even play receiver. It's crazy. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. No. I mean, I just I just wrote down the list of our receivers. I mean, obviously, um, in, including Callaway in this, we've got four no-brainers in OBJ, Landry, Higgins, and Callaway. Then um, for the coming out of Willie's, camp, I think Willie's is all but locked up. I, I agree with you. Coming out of camp, we're going to need five, probably six of these guys, and Callaway doesn't count for that because he's suspended. Right. So we're going to need to keep. It, two at least three of the next couple guys and it's willies i think he's almost guaranteed yeah and then you could what you're saying is you could have two more spots after willies you could have two more spots after willies due to the callaway suspension yeah 
And who's it going to be? I mean, Jalen Strong looks has looked pretty good. There's five guys it could be. At least five guys. In my mind. You've got Armstrong. Hyman. I like Hyman a ton. You've got... And then there were, fumble. And then who was that guy that was from the AAF that played with and Gilbert? That's Hyman. Oh, that is? Mm-hmm. And Jalen Strong. And you've got the kid from um, Dorian Baker from Kentucky. Has It has size, like looks a little different, like ha- brings a little something more to the table. There's a yeah, bunch D- of these guys. DJ Montgomery. The guy DJ Montgomery yeah. was phenomenal in this game. <clears throat> Had a back shoulder catch and then a ridiculous adjustment to the ball for his touchdown catch from David Blau. But with those fifth and sixth receivers, I mean, you're looking for guys who are dynamic, who can play special teams, who offer in the return game, can be a gunner. Uh, we saw Jalen Strong do a little bit of that in this game, be, be a gunner, which is – was not his mo coming no. out of coming I, out of Arizona State. I don't imagine, but good on him if he's adapting, willing to take on a new. And a she, new he's task. the best candidate of any of those guys to fill one of those special teams roles. Yeah, I think Hyman could do it as well. I like Hyman's chances, but um, we'll see. Um, another player who had a pretty good game, except for a slip up or two, was Greedy. I mean, he was our first draft pick in this most recent draft. It's a big slip up, but he it was a pretty himself. big one. He had an interception. Um, I mean, it was a cakewalk interception, but um, overall, I feel like Chris Rock did pretty good. <laughs> I like that he's on the so team. Funny. He looks just like him. I mean, just. it's uncanny. It's ridiculous. <laughs> oh, man. Um, yeah, I am super excited. If we can keep our top three corners healthy, I feel real good with the top three of Denzel Ward, Greedy Williams and Terrence Mitchell. I mean, Terrence Mitchell came in there and ripped that ball out for that one fumble. I mean, like, he's a dog. I love that dude. <clears throat> he's great. He's just got that feisty mentality. I love him. And Greedy's got that confidence, and he's he made some tough tackles and stuff, which is what Two everybody knocked him on. Which everybody knocked him on through this like draft process. So it's good to see him. You know. Proving the doubters wrong on that front. He, he looks a little bigger. Like he needs like, to fill like out he, for he sure. Filled out a little bit more. Yeah. Because he was he was long and lean at LSU. Yeah. Some of those years. So is Denzel, man. I mean, we're they're not the combination of them can't weigh more than three hundred pounds soaking wet. <laughs> <laughs> I mean I think Greedy's almost two hundo. Really? He's just real tall. I mean he's like six two. Yeah, this lean muscle. Um, okay, one other thing I want to hear your thoughts on is the way this offensive line situation is shaking out. Eric Cush got the start. He's been getting the reps with the first team for the last four or five practices and which in, and throughout the game, which has slotted Corbett as the backup center. There's a bunch of implications to this, right? So I do kind of like that we're settling into a starting unit. I was hoping Corbett would win that spot. If it's Cush, it's Cush. That's fine. I want that unit to get a chance to work together for a while before we get to week one. So I'm hoping that they stick with Cush in that spot if that's where they're going and they get a chance to gel as much as possible. The 
other implications. Right, Hugh Jackson's not here. We're not going to switch left tackles well, the I week think, before. I think I'm just like scarred from that situation. It's just like ludicrous to me. How ridiculous is that? In hindsight, we have Batonio working at left tackle for three weeks in the preseason, and then right before week one, Desmond Harrison. Yeah, no, made no sense. But then, oh, oh there's so much about Hugh that made no sense. But then, so now Corbett's playing second-team center, did not grade out well, according to PFF, was not that great. Like, what are we doing with Austin Corbett, our number 33 overall draft selection from last year? Maybe, maybe nothing. Does he like, suck? Like, like you, you miss on picks sometimes. Like, I but don't... did we miss? Like, I don't... Or are we just jerking him around too much and he's having to play too many positions and he's not getting a chance? I, th- I just I... don't know. Like, I don't have a good read at all on what's going on with Austin Corbett. He seems like the nicest dude in the world. Everyone seems there. to like him. <laughs> Put him in. He seems to work hard. Like, what is going... I'm just confused. I mean, he played left tackle in college. He, he doesn't have to profile for a left tackle in the NFL. But he came in and we put him in that spot last year. Until we... Until you figured out that that wasn't a good option. Uh, I mean, I just think he, he has a learning curve. And maybe... He's, I mean, you're projecting him as playing as an interior offensive lineman, and maybe he's not comfortable there. Maybe he never will be. Uh, I mean, he got to play a ton in the preseason last year. He, he played nearly every single snap Oh, they played him almost every year. snap last year. Uh, and, he's and, getting to play a ton this year. Like, we'll, we'll figure it out. Maybe and, he's a backup center. And here's the thing. You move on from him after his rookie year. There's rookie very contract. much so a role for an offensive lineman who is a jack-of-all-trades that can play multiple different positions and can move around and be that swing flex position for you on your team. If they think that that's Austin Corbett, it makes sense to keep that guy on the roster and keep getting a different different looks. Maybe he's not great at guard because he doesn't have that much experience doing it. Maybe he's not great at tackle because he doesn't have the NFL profile, but to have someone who's average or above average at multiple positions on the offensive line that can fill a roster spot and plug and play in multiple places is a tremendous amount of value. Maybe that's the value that he brings to this team. And maybe that's why they're shifting him all around to ton of different places. I don't get why he's not getting more snaps at right guard. Like It just kind of seems like we're going... All in here, all in here, and then just it's, he's just switching his the priority for. But there's only so Austin many. Corbett there's the only time. so many snaps to be had, and it's a matter of do we care about developing Austin Corbett or do we care about putting together a cohesive like the best offensive line unit that we have right now? Like we can't we can't get a cohesive offensive line unit and also give Austin Corbett all the first team snaps just for the sake of his development. Yeah, but why doesn't he get the second team right guard snaps? Is my point. Okay, is so Kalis getting those? Kalis is hurt. So no, what happened is Kalis got hurt and he got a game. concussion in the game. So what happened is when the second team offensive line came in, Corbett came out as the center. The right guard remained Eric Cush, and Kalis actually played left guard whenever they came out for okay. the first like chunk of snaps. And then I think Kalis might have moved over to right guard after Cush came out, like on the next series or something like that. But Corbett got a million snaps at center. He was in there playing center for a majority of the game. And he didn't get any guard snaps, which is 
confusing. I guess like you only you need a solid. I think I think those, backup center. I think and those I guess positions to, are largely interchangeable. The the hardest interior offensive line position is center, right? So like if he's working there, he can slide over to right guard probably pretty easily. Like he'll he'll know the protections. It's responsible for calling him out. I guess it, it's a much more valuable place for us to have to have a backup center who we feel good about than a backup right guard. I feel like we can drop just about anybody into that right guard spot and it'd be fine. Instead Kendall of Lamb, getting into a position whoever. that we were in last year where J.C. Treader had to play the entire second half of the season significantly hurt. Well, and there's whispers out there. I should, I wish I could give credit to whoever like was bringing this up, but I don't have it in front of me. That maybe Austin Corbett is viewed within the organization as the center of the future, given that J.C. Treader is on his last year of his deal. And I don't like that idea at all because we don't have very many solidified starters on that offensive line. That J.C. Treader is one of them. I'd much rather keep that guy around than try to count on Corbett. I mean, we already counted on Corbett to replace, you know, the Pro Bowl caliber right guard that we had, and he hasn't proven capable of doing that. So let's not do that again at center. I just don't think that's a good plan of action. I don't know that's actually what the Browns are thinking, but if it is, I'm not on board. So here's one of the things I want to talk about about the game. Um, Special teams. Everyone's sexiest topic. I'm so glad that we moved on from Andy Jones, and now we got Mike Prefer. One of the things I who, noticed, who? Mike Prefer. No, the one before that. He said Anus. 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 Okay. Yeah. Just making sure. Yeah, Anus Jones. Um, that's his name, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things I saw from this last game is we were alternating on the kickoffs. Um, it was Joseph and Seibert alternating kickoffs, but almost every single one, like four of the five kickoffs we had, were kicked high and to the left or to the right. They weren't just booted through the back of the end zone for an automatic touchback. Um, And I see the Patriots do this, and I think that that is the right move. Strategically, they didn't bring it back past the 20 very many times, and they definitely didn't get it past the 25. I mean, you open up the option for uh, maybe a mishandle of catching the ball, getting the ball back, a fumble. Happens all the time on kickoffs, and if you're going to save net five yards... If you have a kicker that can do that, isn't that the way to go? Even no even just for the net of the five, five yards, yards yeah. right? It, that makes a difference. You hold them three and out, and then that's five extra yards that your offense doesn't have to gain. It's phenomenal. Yeah. And also, the how often are there penalties on kickoff returns? All the time. Right? Where it backs them up even further. Bring it back, start inside the 12. Lord knows the Browns were penalized plenty of times on kickoff returns. Yeah, it just yeah. doesn't it doesn't make any sense to me that so many teams and we have for so many years just blasted it blasted it through the back of the end zone. Well, it's like only trying been to kick f- it through the uprights. It's only been like two or three, probably three seasons now, with the kickoff rule where the touchback goes to the twenty five. Yeah, and that's really the hinge point where it changes the game a little bit because it's pretty easy to return the ball to the twenty or past the twenty. The twenty five is a lot harder mark to achieve from a return standpoint. And yeah, but it's the it's a combination of two things. It's them moving up where the kick is taken from and then moving up that touchback point. True. And it's opened up that possibility so where if you can you, raise you the trajectory get, of your kick and arc it higher, you, get a hang you have time more on it. get some hang time on it. You have more time to get down there and cover. And you just have to 
place it right there. The, you spend the downside you, is if it goes, if you're angling it towards the sidelines, which if it teams, goes out of teams like to do, is pick one side of the field or the other and not kick it straight down the middle. If it goes out of bounds, it's prohibitively costly. You play the odds if you in the NFL is that five, the thirty-five or the forty? It's the thirty-five, pretty sure. In the NFL, it's the forty in college. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you you play the odds there. You do it four out of five times. You save five yards. Fifth time, accidentally bounces out of bounds. But a lot of times, those are going to get fielded too. I mean, yeah. It takes an odd. If it doesn't get fielded, it takes an odd bounce. Mm-hmm. You almost have a chance to recover it. Yeah, I mean, it just makes so much more sense. I don't know why more you know, teams I don't hope, do it. I hope that that observation you made is a result of something that they've like actively been working on and been coaching into them. And not just the result of some accidentally crappy kickoff. <laughs> <Right. laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. Because, uh, I think we might be because, onto because I will note the last kickoff there, they pounded it right through the end zone. <laughs> but, I, but I hope not. Um, anyway, uh, so that's, that's about... Anyway, any of you guys got anything else on the game? No. Ready to watch the Colts game this coming weekend. Greg Joseph missed a PAT, didn't he? He just really solidly clanged it off the upright. <laughs> Rocketed it off that upright. He looks so good at times. Then he gets in these point-after attempts that he just... I know. That 45-yarder like would have been good from like 60 can, right down the middle. Can somebody else take the PATs? Like, how does Colquitt do on like a 25-yard field goal for that PAT? No, it was a no-doubter, though, that 45-yarder that he hit. It was right down the middle with conviction. Yeah. I mean... Easy. It looked beautiful. Middle of the net. Would have hit the All-State hands if it was college. Um, all right, so one of the moves that we did um, this past week was we dropped, we waved Orson Charles, and we picked up a new tight end, Rico Gathers. Gathers. <laughs> Gathers. <laughs> Whatever that is. Mark's real familiar with this player. I had no idea who this guy is, but we picked him <laughs> up, and he's now on our team. There it is. Now you know. I feel like with seeing Orson go, it's like the last remnant of Hugh Jackson like, oh, like on its way out the building. I know there's still players here who played for Hugh, but he was a Hugh, Hugh, Jackson, was a guy. Hugh Jackson guy. Yeah. Um, why did we re-sign him this offseason? It's so weird. Like, it didn't hurt our cap. Like, we didn't give him guaranteed money and then take a cap hit for, for cutting him. It just – I feel like we went out of our way to sign him. I mean – What was the plan? I wonder if it was just a locker room thing. I mean, the one thing that you keep hearing about Orson Charles is that everybody loves the guy and that he is, like, a really great locker room presence and, like, hype man. He's the guy who – on the, I don't know if it was Hard Knocks or when Baker was mic'd up or whatnot, but um, Baker was talking to him on the sideline, and then Baker walked away and goes, that guy's fucking crazy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he's not, okay, but he's not honestly that good at football. So, like, if you're really just looking at it from, like, a production standpoint and what the Browns are losing by getting rid of Orson Charles, the Browns aren't really losing much. Maybe that's why signing that must be by why getting Hugh rid of Orson Charles. So much. Just, just like a good hang. Like, <laughs> Makes him feel good. Makes oh him feel gosh. warm and fuzzies inside, but just not very good at football. So, I have heard lots of Browns commentary of not being so high on Rico Gathers. And there are lots of reasons to not like taking a chance on Rico Gathers. 
He has been in the Cowboys system for a long time where they have needed a tight end to step up in Jason Witten's aging process. <laughs> and <laughs> Rico Gathers did not take the bull by the horns and do anything with it. Like, like he had every opportunity so, in the world. So they like watching a man decompose in front of your eyes. <laughs> Long, drawn out. We all Just witnessed the, it. The aging process. Well, but my he question... didn't do it, and he's suspended for the first game. Did you realize this? He has like a substance a, a suspension. suspension. He's a suspension. He is suspended for the first game of the season, and it was after that I think that the Cowboys got rid of him. I don't and... think he's going to be on our team. Okay, because I don't know what he does better than the current guys we have in the building. Like, he's not a good blocker. So, great. Does he stay healthier than Seth DeValve? That might be the one trait Seth, that he has. Seth DeValve's not going to be on our team either, I don't think. Who, Somebody's going to be our third tight end. Pharaoh Brown? No. He sucks. Pharaoh Brown wasn't good. He sucks worse <laughs> than Orson Charles. Yes. So, I mean, somebody's going to be our third tight end, maybe our fourth. I mean, I think they put him in there and they say, we need another pass-catching tight end. Seth DeValve's not we can't count on this guy being around. Let's throw another guy in the mix. He's somebody that has physical talent and has, like, that we think could turn into something. Let's take a chance. How different is it than Greg Robinson last year? I mean, Greg Robinson was coming off a season where he had put together a pretty good eight games with the Lions until he got hurt. But... But we, I, I will say that it just seems like everyone is dogging this Rico Gathers signing. But we have also praised the players we took off the scrap heap last year, like a Brichard Perriman and a Greg Robinson. Right? And this has all the makings of that same type of, if it works out, it's great. Guy that has physical talent that maybe a new like change of scenery were able to actually like scheme around and make it work and utilize some of that talent. I'm not expecting it. I think, but the that's the type here, of signing. It I is think the difference me. here is just the depth at that position that we currently have. Like, he's not going to get a chance to see the field to make an impact, right? Except like, that we like, led the league in 13 personnel last year, where we had three tight ends on the field. So why wouldn't he get some snap? I mean, not that it's like a meaningful just, when you're a third tight end. But I just in. don't. I don't see that happening with the rest of our offense, like the the weapons we have on offense. Like, are you really going to go out in thirteen personnel often when that means taking Beckham, Jarvis, Chubb, or Hunt off the field? Sure. Right. Yeah. No, I'm with like, you. why are you going to make the choice to go into 13 personnel to bring on Rico Gathers and have Jarvis sitting on the bench? Well, it depends because... on how our offensive line performs throughout the entire season. It's true. I mean, that that was the main reason why we were doing it at the end of last year. So if there's considerable questions about it, maybe it's good that we have these ginormous tight ends on the field. I mean, Gathers is 6'6", 282. Gathers. <laughs> That's how it's that's how it's spelled. I, you know, don't tell Pfeiffer. <laughs> Prefer. <laughs> Pfeiffer. Pfeiffer. Oh man. We're all messed yeah. up on names. I, I just don't I I don't think we're gonna lead the league in thirteen personnel. Um I I know that we did at the end of last season. I don't think it makes sense with the the weapons that we have on offense. Um we That's can, a fair point. We can I'm, find it we can find a different way 
to protect the quarterback than just throwing extra tight ends in there. Plus, the tight ends that we have aren't very good at blocking outside of Harris. Demetrius Harris is fine. Demetrius Harris is fine, but are we really gaining? Joku's better. Are we really gaining that much by bringing on two extra tight ends on top of Demetrius Harris if we're trying to protect? I don't think so. It's fair. I don't think Rico Gathers makes a team. That's my... All right, Matthew's prediction. Speaking of making the team and being on the team, how long will Antonio Callaway be a Cleveland Brown? We haven't talked about his suspension yet, have we? No, we have not. No. Um, I mean, I think it depends on if he gets a suspension again. If he doesn't, I mean, indefinite, like for the foreseeable future, but if he does, then I think. This seems like such a huge step back this preseason. I mean, comes into camp out of shape. But I wonder if he was actually out of shape or if they just knew the suspension was coming. I think it's both. And so it's like, we're not going to run you with the first team and we're not going to give you first team kickoff return reps and all sorts of stuff Knowing that if you're not even going to be here. No, I think it's a combination. I'm with you. I just, I just think being out of shape, it's like the convenient excuse where it's like, I can't tell you that he smoked weed and it's going to be suspended. But or he also, took PEDs. No, it's a substance abuse. Oh. Oh, man. But Well, it could have been anything. I mean, I don't know. It's true. <laughs> it's true. But he's not getting those reps right now. Could just be a dilute sample. Just, <laughs> he's just really just hydrated. Just really hydrated. He's multiple times. <laughs> he's just being a good team player. Drinking lots of He wakes of up with that gallon. He brings it to practice. <laughs> He finished that milk off, and then he's <laughs> topping that baby off. I think he's a winner. I think he's going to be on the team forever. <laughs> Maybe he's out of shape just because he's going to the bathroom so often. You know, just not enough time to stay on the field. He's not consistently keeping his heart rate up because he's constantly <laughs> taking bathroom breaks. Okay, but he's out four games, and then he comes back, and then what? Like, he's not going to slot right into the third spot. It's going to be... A stranglehold by Higgins. He's going to be the fourth wide receiver. Oh, no. Oh, no. We're watching the Indians game right now. That's what Michael's talking about. Darn it. Nathan's got a cannon. It's all right. Game's tied up. Dang it. Sorry, bottom of the ninth. The Red Sox just uh, tied up the game. Uh, top of the ninth. Top of the ninth. That's right. Um, I, I, I don't think Callaway's going to be on our team for very long. I mean, I've been watching Antonio Callaway play football for past five years, right? Yeah. 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 He's been off the field just as frequently as he's been on the field, and he doesn't seem to – his behavior doesn't seem to change. So now that he's already in phase two of the NFL substance abuse protocol or whatever, drug testing protocol, he's, he's going to be habitually tested. I don't have any confidence that he's going to change his pattern of behavior. So, I just, don't think he, because I just don't think he's going to be long for, for our team. And we also don't need him. And we so, don't in the short we don't term, have to play with it. We don't in the short term, but if he would have been a reliable piece for us going forward, it certainly would have helped our cap situation going forward, where we could have counted on him and had some more flexibility in moving on from a guy like Jarvis. Yeah, no, for sure. Now but we're, like, strapped. What kills me is how he's so dumb to test positive and not be able to pass 
pass those tests. And there's guys out there in the league who are way dumb looking to you, Tyreek Hill. And, like, Tyreek Hill doesn't get suspended. Like, like how are you how are you how is everybody else able to figure this out and you're not? What do they do in the states like what do they do in like Denver? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Can't Doesn't smoke matter. weed. Nope. Collectively bargained. It's gonna have to change, right? And I mean like how bad does that suck for a guy like Antonio Callaway when it changes in like three to four years? Next time negotiations are at the table and weed is legal in the majority of the United States. I mean, it's going to happen. Yeah. Like, I mean, how bad does it suck to be one of those guys that... I mean, our friends our friends on the Surviving the Season podcast talked about this when they were talking about Callaway's suspension, and Adam did a really good job diving into, like, the NFL doesn't care about weed. What what the owners have, though, is they know they have a bargaining chip, right? And they're, they're business people. And so they're not just going to be like, oh, yeah, we're not going to test for weed anymore, Right. Like, when it comes to the collective bargaining time, they're going to use that to get something else. And so, what does the CBA expire in two years? No, after... Something like that? E- yes. Is it this season? I think it's after this season. It might be after this season, yeah, because I'm yeah. worried that the Browns are going to be, like, on the verge of the Super Bowl. Yeah, no, and it's after this season. There's a lockout. So, we'll see when the when the CBA comes up, but I don't... I don't know what the, the players are going to have to give up in order to, to get that. And I don't, I don't know how valuable that is to the players necessarily. Because you've got guys like Chris Long. It's after the 2020 season. I misspoke. We have two more seasons under the current CBA. Great. Time for the Browns to win the Super Bowl. You've got guys like Chris Long who come out after their career's over who are like, yeah, I was smoking weed the whole time. You know? So I'd, I'd, but I think I was, it affects But I was small, white, so I was fine. Well, yeah, and also just knowing how the, like, never getting pulled into the drug protocol. Like, yeah. don't fail a test. You, you can get tested one time a year. If you don't fail that one time a year, you can smoke as much as you want. Do they know whenever they get tested? It's, like, right before training camp. Yeah, that's pretty inexcusable then. Well, Antonio Callaway was already in the system. Well, because he had a dilute sample at the combine. Um, so as Adam explained it on the surviving season pod, he would have like a 90 day probationary period where he would be tested up to 10 times a month, whatever. And then there's a case officer that could determine that, oh, this needs to continue for a while. We don't know, but at some point he failed the test to get himself because the first time you fail, you just get fined and it doesn't become public. Second time you get suspended. So he failed previously. Strike two. Yeah. So. Yeah. Way that's to go. interesting. Way to go, Antonio. Yeah. So with that knowledge, it doesn't seem like he's going to be changing his ways anytime soon if he had that much foreknowledge of a test, which uh, is unfortunate. But honestly, I don't think we need Antonio Callaway. I really don't. Um, so one of the things we haven't talked about, and I don't, I don't think we need to talk about it a ton, but um, the Building the Browns episode came out, which was... Um, which was interesting. It was fun. I mean, it, it was is. like it's, it was. It's super well done. Yeah. I'm really impressed with what they've done with that whole series. It was not nearly this good this time last year. Whenever they were doing doing it during the off season, so but props to the Browns. It's honestly like they're trying to provide a hard knocks experience for the fans that they love so much, 
every single year. It was a 45-minute episode about um, inside camp and the first preseason game. It was a fun. The best part you about it is just seeing the personality of the players, like, off the field. And you get to see, like, I love seeing Carl Davis and, yeah. Ogan Joby. like, jacking around with John Dorsey as he's, yeah. like, trying to, like, set up for an interview. Ogan Joby, like, throwing punches at John Dorsey, like, like working his body. Oh, it, and, and John hilarious. Dorsey loving it, by the way. Like he was like, all right, get out of here, get out of here." <laughs> <laughs> like, like, how great is it for your boss's bosses, like your boss's boss, to just be you get to walk up to him while he's doing an interview and toss some punches at him, just mess with him. Yeah, like uh, that's fantastic. And the only other thing that I really like took away from that uh, episode was how fun it would be to play uh, some shuffleboard with the offensive line. I'm, I'd be so down for that all day long. All right. Well, if you're listening, anybody on the Cleveland Browns offensive line, Michael wants to play shuffleboard with you. Yep. Only thing better would be if Joe Thomas was there um, on that particular day to participate. I, I feel like you would be very intimidated. Like, I, Nervous. Playing. Those guys are massive. Oh, yeah. But my favorite is the like juxtaposition of how huge they are and how like delicate of a game they're playing. <laughs> <laughs> They're just these ginormous dudes, just like two fingers, just sliding it. Yeah, <laughs> Can't go too hard. Very delicate. Yeah. I love it. I think you would like more, Michael, than that. Let me put this fantasy into your mind. I think you would rather play Settlers of Catan with Joe Thomas. It's a more extended period of time when you're playing. It absolutely Settlers is. You get some more. So, yeah. Both would be great. Let's just put it that Both way. Both would be great. And the final piece which was the send-off also on Building the Browns. There was, like, all these, like, huddles that they had throughout the thing. You know, you saw Kirksey, like, breaking the huddle down. You saw um, Phil Dawson breaking the huddle down. You know, Browns on three. One, two, three, Browns. Dog you know, chick. Yeah, you see it, like, over and over again. Like, there had to be a million. And then the last scene of the, of the entire thing was after the preseason game, and Freddie called Sheehy to come and break the team down, and he goes, win on one. One. Win. Win. <laughs> it was my absolute favorite. I've never, they always say like on three and they do it on three. I've never seen on somebody one. do it on one. And Mark Well, the made, thing I was most <laughs> impressed by was honestly win the whole team one. bought in. Like they, he's like, win on one, one. Everyone's like, win. <laughs> like immediate, they all knew. They, they were paying attention. Maybe it's not the first time they've done it. Yeah. Maybe that's the thing that they do. Um, yeah, that was great. Also, man, I wish Phil Dawson wasn't retiring. I wish he still had a couple more years left in that leg. We could we could use a Phil Dawson. The Phil Dawson hearing him talk about the intricacies of the, like what he did to like track everything, the artistry. Indians win, bottom of the ninth, walk off Carlos Santana. Two nights in a row. Love it. Game winning homer. That's what I'm talking about. That thing barely there snuck go, over the baby. wall. So great. So great. All right, that's a good way to end this thing. Top of the AL Central. Uh, on our way out, can we each give a, a Phil Dawson memory Ooh. in honor of his retirement? Ooh. I'll go first. The, my favorite NFL field goal of all time is the one that hit the like support and bounced back. And they originally called it no good. And then they had to go review it and see that it actually did go through the goalposts, hit 
<laughs> the support and bounce Stanchion? back onto Isn't that the what it's called? Is I that what no we idea. learned? We like learned whatever yeah. that piece is called. <laughs> yeah. That it we... hit hit the stanchion and bounced back. It was the most bizarre play I, I think I can remember in NFL history. And I, I think it's my favorite Phil Dawson field goal. Well, that was one of the most crazy field goals because the entire Raven, it was against the Ravens, and the entire team went back into the locker room because they thought they'd won. They they thought they'd won the game, and the refs had to go back and get all the Ravens out, and then we had to play overtime, and then Phil Dawson ended up kicking the game winner to win the game in overtime, which was fantastic, and to beat the Ravens that way. I mean, that's just fantastic. And there was actually a rule change after that. They said that if a kick, if a ball hit the uprights, then the refs can go back and review it, only if it hits the upright. So if it hits the stanchion, then they can, they can review it to see if it went through or not but that didn't exist before. And they didn't review it then. They just talked about it for a really long time. <laughs> but, yeah. They're like, yeah, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure it looked like it went through to me. I think my favorite Phil Dawson memory is that crazy snow game that we in played Buffalo? against. No, it was in Cleveland. In Cleveland. That we played against Buffalo. And we won the game 8-0. to zero. <laughs> And it was two Phil Dawson field goals and a safety but one of those field goals there was wind up to 40 miles an hour that day there was snow all over the place like it was a game that was hard to watch because like they couldn't really film it there was so much snow coming down it was unbelievable and he hit a 49 yard field goal in that weather why would 49 you even, yard field goal why would you he, i remember it? him driving it so low like it hardly like came up in the air and it cleared the upright it was fantastic fantastic so i like you, not any kicker would be able to execute on that particular day and phil dawson came through eight to zero browns win clutch hmm i'm not gonna lie i uh don't remember very many other specific except for his just relentless consistency i just remember long field goals i always thought that there was a chance for Phil Dawson to make it at the end of the game to win. I think it was like back in 2008, there was a Monday night game in Buffalo where he made like a 56-yarder or like 60-yarder to win the game. It wasn't quite that long, but it was like high 50s um, on, on a Monday night football game. But he was just so ridiculously consistent. That's that's what it is about Phil. And honestly, though, in building the Browns, that was one of the things I noticed. The amount of effort and time that he put in to his craft. He had them put in a flag at the stadium just so he could judge the wind conditions per yeah. time. Like, I never thought about that, how much a kicker thinks about how many miles per hour the wind is going. I um, loved how I'm, he explained the angle and, like, dividing it by four to yeah. be, like, the, like, amount of wind speed. And he just, like, kind of spouted off, like, so that's really helpful for you to understand, like, how much wind is coming. And, like, you saw, like, Greg Joseph and, like, <laughs> Colquitt, like, what the hell? Like, <laughs> how do you, like, what, this doesn't mean anything to me. Can, do you think he'd be interested in coaching? Like, could we bring him in as, uh, like, assistant special teams coach just to work with our field goal kickers? Yes, please. All day long. Why not? Like, why not? Pay what him you, 100 grand. Yeah. What do you want? <laughs> yeah, seriously. Everyone in Cleveland would love it. Nope. Cleveland loves that man more than anything. You, you don't realize how much you love and respect your field goal kicker until you don't have him anymore. Miss you dearly, Phil. Yeah. Um, 
with that note, we're going to wrap it up here. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. We really appreciate you. Um, be sure to follow us on Twitter at Sin of Our Fathers, Instagram at Sin of Our Fathers. Send us an email if you have any comments, concerns, or questions that you want us to bring up on the podcast. Um, that's Sin of Our Fathers at gmail.com. We appreciate each and every one of you. And be sure to rate the podcast five stars on wherever you get your podcast. Leave a comment. Let us know what you think about the show. Um, and thanks for listening, everybody. Go Browns. Go Browns. Thank you.